Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. I said they made it themselves. It's a plastic mold that they roll hamburger meat across. Almost like you're doing ravioli? Exactly. It's exactly, it looks just like a ravioli press. And then they pop out the burgers. They go on this gorgeous grill. I mean, the patina is unbelievable. Get topped with onion, and it's almost like a puree. Put a little bit on top of each burger. At least the ones for me are always going to have onion. Yeah. And you can try to get one without it, but it doesn't work. And then they just let it sit and smash it. Uh, May uses her, what is this, spackle? It's a bricklayer's trowel, right? Yeah, bricklayer. And so she smashes the heck out of it, gets a flip. Almost always I go cheese. It just sort of helps with the mouthfeel. Yeah. Um, but the, the best part is the weight. You know it's almost your turn, and then they tease you, and they put the buns on, and then they get steamed. So the buns steam by way of the steam that comes off the burger. Yeah, exactly. They, they steam through the burger, and then they come off, get wrapped, and dressed. Humber, 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 hum. Humber, 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 hum. Humber, humber, hamburger. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. Inside of pride. The nasty which is just like it sounds. Um, we love eating it because it's kind of like French onion soup. It takes all the pieces of onion and cheese that fall around the edge, they scrape them up, and then they put a big slice of that on your cheeseburger. That one's the hardest one to get most people to convince to try. Because of the name? Yeah, I think that, you know, and you see somebody scraping that griddle, you start thinking about your life choices a little bit. The last one that's my favorite is like eating a meatloaf sandwich. You get a double burger, ketchup, hot sauce, and then you get an order of french fries and you stuff it. Stack me up. Yeah, absolutely. I respect the burger, for sure. All across the South, small ag communities lie in ruins. But somehow, Hodgenville looks like a dolled up movie set of a farm town. Here, many families have farmed these acres since before the Union split. They survived by evolving, by changing. As farms grow, we become more and more focused on the business, on running our business. The business of the farm. Of, that's right. Just being the guy who's putting seeds in the ground or right. that's feeding his cows. All of us farm much different than our fathers and our grandfathers and, you know, Caleb and I are, are part of the same line. Of, I'm eighth generation and he's ninth of the same family farming in Larue County, but we do it entirely different than our ancestors did. The farm economy is in a pretty tough place right now. Commodity prices are low. Uh, the tariffs have uh, caused particular issues for soybean producers right now. And um, quite frankly, there's people that are going out of business Shopping local, we know the business owners, mm -hmm. and they know our kids, and they want to see our kids grow up, and we want to be supportive of what they're doing. I thought about that driving in here for the first time to see that small town and to see such a prosperous small town in a moment when a lot of farm towns are not prosperous, when they're fading. A lot of our corn we raise, it goes to the distillery market. So we know every year we're going to raise corn, we're going to raise soybeans, we're going to raise wheat. I think now about 60% of the corn in the distillery market comes from Kentucky. You've got farms out here that are producing millions upon millions of dollars, which mean millions upon millions of dollars of expenses. And it's proven ag money turns over seven or eight times in a rural economy. You know, you take a you take a five million dollar farm, you know, you're talking about a thirty plus million dollar economic impact in this rural community. You know, obviously you take the farms away and you're gonna see rural communities really dry up. How many dairy producers are there left in the room? One. Only one. One. And he's on his way out. And you go back. 40 years and there were probably 100. With a dairy farm, you're 365 days a year. You know, the cows don't take off for Christmas and Thanksgiving. They're going to get milked two or three times a day. Unfortunately, I think we're in a, in a time where survival. survival. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't really say that. I yeah. almost said that and I was just going to be quiet. Everybody around this circle. We have a payment on every acre we farm, whether it be a mortgage payment or a rental payment. We're not 
making obscene huge profits. We turn over a lot of dollars. People probably think we're rich, but we're just we're just trying to scrape by and keep the bills paid. <laughs> And, uh, you know, be able to farm another year is really our, our goal. So with all these challenges, why do you, a first-generation farmer, step into this? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> Back on the square where images of Lincoln and the word Lincoln decorate everything, I wonder how a place that identifies as conservative and southern traits associated with the Confederacy could be the birthplace of the great emancipator. That begs a bigger question about the state. Why do some Kentuckians seem to pretend to have lost a war they actually won? I invited my former Southern Studies professor, Charles Reagan Wilson, to Hodgenville to help me make sense of these contradictions. One historian wrote that uh, Kentucky didn't secede until after the war. More Kentuckians fought for the Union than fought for the Confederacy. About 90 or 100,000 fought for the Union and 25 or 30,000 fought for the Confederacy. But after the war, the Confederate sympathizers that had this energy and this uh, commitment to put this narrative about the lost cause on Kentucky history, it was not accidental. The Lost Cause mythology, which reframes the Civil War as a noble fight over states' rights, is another example of how history is malleable. As Kentucky's most famous son said, the stories we tell are in the hands of men who strum those mystic chords of memory. Winston Churchill said that the Irish remember the defeats long after the English have forgotten the victories. And in a sense, that was true of the Union sympathizers in Kentucky. They went on to other things, but the people who lost their cause became this noble lost cause. And so they're the ones, the white Kentucky Confederate sympathizers after the war, that decide they've got to put the Confederate stamp on Kentucky for the future. The typical wording on a Confederate monument in Kentucky and other places was, lest ye forget. It's on almost all of them. And right. it's, it's, it's memory. It's all about memory. You're watching True South, presented by Yellowwood. Are you thinking about buying an annuity? Before you do, get the little-known secrets to receiving guaranteed income and protecting your hard-earned money. Don't buy an annuity until you understand the pros and cons of annuities. Everything you need to know can be found in this free book, Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers. It reveals the five little-known secret truths about annuities in easy-to-understand terms. Call now and get your free copy. Don't make a move without it. These five secret truths are the hacks we believe all seniors, boomers, and those approaching retirement should know to maximize their retirement with guaranteed annuity income. Call and get your copy now. As a bonus for those who call, we'll give you our free annuity rate report that summarizes rates and benefits from the top annuity providers. Supplies are limited. Call and get your free books now. Call 800-549-8750. That's 800-549-8750. Welcome back to True South, presented by Yellowwood brand pressure-treated pine. If it doesn't have this yellow tag, you don't want it. 25 miles east of Hodgenville, a truck stop sun rises on the outskirts of Bardstown. Jake's 150 keeps the long-distance big rigs fueled and caffeinated and better fed than they deserve. This unholy hour belongs to gas station breakfast people. Coffee or a Mountain Dew, a lottery ticket, and good country sausage on a biscuit. A hamburger for the morning. It looks like a modern gas station, functions like an old country store. When I was growing up, my father used to drive me out in the country to buy sausage. Yeah. And we'd go to an old country store, and the store had once sold, you know, dry goods and stuff, but by the time I was growing up, it was all sausage. Right, um, right, oh yeah. I mean, is this part of that same tradition? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This, is, this place is known for sausage and sausage alone. Yeah. It's a gas station. Nobody comes here for that. They come here... <laughs> 
quiet, you numbskull. I'm broadcasting. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? 1037 The Buzz. Let me tell you, the folks at Jake's 150 have this thing down. It starts with homemade sausage and ends in the hands of the chosen ones. We take a lot of pride in it. I mean, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that goes into a family-owned business, and we want them to know that we're glad they're here. I mean, they could go to any other convenience store, so we're we're glad that they chose ours. Any other convenience store doesn't have y'all's sausage. Well, no. Our, we have things here that they can't get at, like, your traditional convenience right. stores, so. Like cornbread mafia books exactly. and hemp Yeah. And cornhole bags. <laughs> yeah. I watch people, when I come in here, hover at this box. Oh, yes. Like, why are they hovering? It's a gathering point. This is, you know, we're a small community. Yeah. And this area right here is where a lot of politics get done and a lot of decisions get made. Kind of like the uh, water cooler at the office. Yeah. This is it for the community. Well, I can also see them driving through the parking lot. And they got one hand on the steering wheel and one hand full of a biscuit. Um, Not too many biscuits make it out of the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The bourbon industry now brings in millions of dollars to wet places like Bardstown and Nelson County while leaving behind traditionally dry places like Hodgenville in LaRue County. A lot of these trucks haul grain to nearby distilleries or haul whiskey out of them. Inside the truck stop, they sell two books written by a former marijuana kingpin named Joe Keith Bickett, a member of the Cornbread Mafia. He did more than two decades in federal prison after being caught in what was, at the time, the largest pot bust in American history. Kentuckians have long talked about the difference between God's law and man's law. Man's law is something the government says. God's law says a family should do whatever they can to stay on family land. To a farmer, there's really not much difference between legal whiskey and moonshine, between bootlegging and pot growing. They're all vice crops. Cornbread Mafia was a group of uh, marijuana growers back in the 1970s. We were farming community. We know we grew corn, soybeans, tobacco. Tobacco was bringing a couple dollars a pound. And uh, as marijuana started coming in, we got to telling ourselves we could do this ourselves, you know. Do so what ourselves? We could grow marijuana, you know, and make some money as opposed to $2 tobacco, you know. We didn't see anything morally more wrong than, you know, tobacco. Investigators record more than 1,000 marijuana plants at the Springfield, Kentucky farm belonging to the man dubbed the godfather of grass, Johnny Boone. Is there a moment when, like, the federal government's bearing down on you? Do you think, damn, this thing's become big time? By the time we got into the, the late 80s, you know, we were living on the edge on a lot of that stuff. Uh, some of us got into cocaine, and, and, of course, it was our ultimate downfall. If we stayed with the marijuana alone, we would probably been a lot better off. I remember reading in your book, y'all were in Miami cutting up on cigarette boats, like y'all were tearing it up. Yeah, we, was, we were uh, having a pretty good time. Joe Keith and I left the quick stop and drove into the country back towards Hodgenville. On the way, he told me stories about the places we drove past. We had a, a marijuana crop in Nelson County, just a few miles up the road here, back in the river bottoms. And uh, law enforcement had found that crop and arrested a couple of uh, people that was involved in it. And they didn't cut that crop of marijuana down. It was a pretty huge crop. I told it in my first book. Yeah. And uh, the sheriff's department that night wanted to watch a rematch between Leon Spinks and Muhammad Ali, and we found out about it, and they wasn't watching it. And that night, we gathered up a bunch of guys, and one of the guys that night that was with us, he said, what we got here is the Cornbread Mafia. And that term stuck, and we went in and uh, reclaimed that crop. Yeah. How long did it take y'all to pull that crop in? We got it done right before daylight, right before they come in. And uh, I think the last load was going out about the same time that uh, the Nelson County Sheriff's Department come in with the... Uh, camera crews and everything and we're going to film taking that crop down and, and one of the deputies that drove off into this river bottoms to check it out and he, they said he come driving back up the road wide open dust to flying he jumps out of the car and says sheriff it's all gone it's all gone 
closed in on the Nelson-LaRue County line toward a town called New Haven. In the south I grew up in, there were always wet counties and dry counties. The county line between was a mythical place where an outlaw culture took root. Nearly every southern man of a certain age has made a county line run. For a county line. Halfway between Jake's and Lahays was long the wet county liquor source for the dry counties south of Bardstown. We pulled up to one of those liquor stores that once sold all that illegal booze. Hey, Tommy, tell us about uh, back in the bootlegging days. Come on, man. About how it was back in the 60s when everything... It used to be, the- we were the only liquor store till you got to Mumfordsboro, Tennessee. All the way to Tennessee. All the way to Tennessee. Now, now you can't do that. LaRue County just went recently wet. Right. But years ago, we had a bootleg business. We probably had more beer go out the back of this store than we did go out the front. Same in same in Marion County. My uncle Johnny Mauser worked here. Yep. And my daddy worked here. And they all they did was haul booze. Several years ago, right across the street, right out the road here, JB lived across the street from us. And uh, the squat team pulled in there, JB's. They come in there like banded in, you know, guns, machine guns and everything. Well, he had a cistern right behind his house. It's still there today. Right. He had 1,496 gallons of moonshine in them big gallon wow. jugs, you know, yeah, liquid yeah. jugs. He had 1,496 gallons. They took all of them, but maybe five or six for evidence, and they went right down by the river. Back then, nowadays, they get them for environmental Same. And they broke every damn one of them. That beer, whiskey went right down in the river. Kentucky is changing. The bourbon boom is making dry counties reconsider their values and their future. Hodgenville recently voted to go wet by 10 votes. Preachers said it was sinful, but the economic argument won. The bourbon boom won. Because brown liquor here is more than a drink. It's a way to rest a living from your land and maybe, just maybe, stay on that land and pass it along to your sons and daughters. At one time, it was six. Very thriving business. Bootlegging business. But then, as the years went through, Hardin County went wet, Warren County went wet, now you got Pulaski County wet, you got Clinton County wet, you got Cumberland County wet, you got Edmonton County wet, you got Adair County wet, you got Taylor County wet, you got all these counties. And LaRue just turned wet. Yeah, LaRue, I didn't think they would because they got hard shell Baptist over there. Yep. And I didn't think they'd go wet, but they did go wet. They got two liquor stores and probably 10 or 12 out there. What flipped that vote? People change, you know. Maybe yeah. the younger generation were a little bit more leaner than the older generation. That's true. Everyone knows the dry counties were never truly dry. The real difference a farmer sees between growing corn for whiskey and growing marijuana for nickel bags is that the government gets to tax one and call it legal. Society depends on a collection of myths and convenient histories. But for a farmer, the truth of keeping his land is the only story that's worth telling. You see this Don Ferriol? I'm offering this to the next team that goes unbeaten. But all over the land on this Sunday night, the champagne courts have been popping. There's champagne on ice somewhere. So come get this champagne. All you got to do is beat everybody. (laughs) It's an international fight week, and this card is absolutely This is just unbelievably stacked. I'm so excited. Kentucky is changing. Newman Miller leaves Lahays 
with a sack of burgers and heads to his kitchen to mold and press and garnish them into a tureen, like something Paul Bocuse might have done if he'd grown up watching the Dukes of Hazard. Bourbon country is changing. Experts say this part of the state is going to be the next Napa Valley. Hodgenville is changing too. Farmers are fighting to survive commodity price drops and the president's tariffs. The town is now wet, and May Owens, who has worked the Lehays Griddle for three decades, has decided to retire. Yeah, I don't want to, but it's time. The whole town stopped to celebrate her career and to use this end of an era moment to examine themselves a little too. Y'all dismissed it. I was dancing. On May Owen's last day, the town of Hodgeville came out to show respect. The mayor and I have a proclamation we wish to present to you. Whereas May Owens, through her diligent work, has given enjoyment to those patronizing Lehay's Red Castle in Hodgeville. Through May Owens' efforts, her hamburgers are honored as Kentucky's best. And whereas May Owens exemplifies the true Kentucky spirit of dedication, hard work, and selfless effort. Now, therefore, we proclaim today as May Owens Day in Hodgenville and LaRue County. Thank you so much, May. God bless you. I said, I didn't know I was so important. What are you going to do on Monday? What's on your mind? Did you just get up in the morning and figure out ways to make me crazy? Yeah! 103.7 The Buzz. When I pass away, that's going with me. A t-shirt. I don't want a shirt on. I want it in the casket. I want a hairnet and my spatula. <laughs> I'm being silly, I know. <laughs> What's it say? She made her last burgers. She got down on her knees and cleaned for the last time. I just love you. Whatever the future holds for this important and beautiful town, the way forward is on the shoulders of people like May. That's what all the fuss and attention and proclamations seem to say. May Owens is a living city limit sign. Welcome to Hodgenville, Kentucky. Here we work.
by Yellowwood brand pressure-treated pine. This brutal pandemic has walloped Oxford. It's walloped all of Mississippi. Our region lagged at first. The deep south is less dense, less prone to spread. But our deep political divisions supercharged the virus. We became the hardest hit region of the United States. When you want to know the score, it's on KBC. Our True South crew was supposed to leave on March 16th. We had lined up eight restaurants in four cities. Restaurants that told a story of the South in that moment. Then the moment shifted. The world stopped. The South stopped. I sat at home and thought about the bars and restaurants that have given me shelter. The people who offered me places to belong. I worried about them. We all did. Wright and I lived 12 blocks apart. That means we often worried together. Over cocktails, we talked about our friends and about our South. On May 14, we brought along a camera crew. I bunkered in on March 15. When did you go in? Uh, March 12th, I flew in from Phoenix, and I've been home ever since. Uh, climbing the walls, man. What have you been doing? We walked the dog. <laughs> Just over and over. <laughs> That's about it. We don't have a dog, so we, we don't come out at all. I mean, you walk a child. Exactly. We've been home. All we've been doing is... Uh, Cooking, drinking, and eating. I've eaten all of the frozen sausage I had from Jake's 150 from our show. So, like, what have you been doing? Like, what do you do at night? We eat. I mean, you know, and then we spend most of the day talking about what we're going to eat yeah. at night. When you look out at the southern food world we have covered and will cover, what are the big losses to you? We don't know the losses yet. I mean, that, that's the thing, that this horrific virus may have already taken its toll, and we don't know. Um, it's our responsibility to dig back into those businesses, dig back into those restaurants and tell their stories. And I mean, that's what I want to do with this episode, is, is dig back in and say, how you doing? They're family businesses, and they continue, and they pass down from generation to generation, not because there's great profit in it, because they feel this commitment to a community. They're vulnerable, man. And they were vulnerable before this happened. I mean, we talk about this in the car, in bars at night, at restaurants after we're done shooting. This is what we talk about, is that these places and the constellation of them as a thing feel to me vulnerable. A regular in a bar or restaurant is to pledge yourself to that place, to embrace its beauty and its flaws. Out of that pledge comes fierce loyalty. We protect the places we claim. When they get threatened, we get scared because we know what's at stake. What does it say about a society if we can't bury our dead? There's so many things we can't mark now. The idea that we can't bury our dead connects us to the idea that we can't gather at all. We can't gather in restaurants, we can't gather at a graveside, we can't gather in a church. We've lost our connectivity, and that's the thing we long for most in this moment. Um, that's why we make this show. It's like the tiny postage stamp of common ground that if we can both stand on it, we can figure everything else out once you can find the place. If there is an afterlife, and if ghosts are real, I won't mind to haunt that bar. It's the perfect bar. And I haven't been up there now in 63 days. City Grocery in Oxford is my family bar. It's Wright's family bar. Both our children sat on this bar before they started kindergarten. I live six blocks south, Wright lives six blocks north. Oxford's a college town. Half 
halfway between the homes of Muddy Waters and Elvis Presley. The cultural bridge for the state. Here at the center of town, we climb the grocery stairs to gather for happy hours before marriages after wakes. In May, it was closed when I needed it the most. We're in the middle of May. Um, we've been locked down for two months. Since we are shut down, we took advantage of that by redoing the floors, doing some painting and, you know, just some touch-up stuff that you normally can't do because you'd have to shut down. Hopefully, soon, we'll be open to probably half capacity, but it's so day-to-day -day that we don't know. We've been doing some Zoom happy hours with some regulars, but there's still nothing like having the interaction you have with your people. The grocery inched back to life over the summer with socially distant tables and mass staff. No offense to Cooney or owner John Currents, but the bar isn't the same. Nothing will be the same until we get the virus under control and we get our lives back. You're watching True South, presented by Yellowwood. Are you thinking about buying an annuity? Before you do, get the little-known secrets to receiving guaranteed income and protecting your hard-earned money. Don't buy an annuity until you understand the pros and cons of annuities. Everything you need to know can be found in this free book, Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers. It reveals the five little-known secret truths about annuities in easy-to-understand terms. Call now and get your free copy. Don't make a move without it. These five secret truths are the hacks we believe all seniors, boomers, and those approaching retirement should know to maximize their retirement with guaranteed annuity income. Call and get your copy now. As a bonus for those who call, we'll give you our free annuity rate report that summarizes rates and benefits from the top annuity providers. Supplies are limited. Call and get your free books now. Call 800-549-8750. That's 800-549-8750. Ah, that's, that's what I like. Welcome back to True South. Presented by Yellowwood brand, Pressure Treated Pine. If it doesn't have this yellow tag, you don't want it. Make True South for money, sure. But we really do love these bars and restaurants and the people who run them. These places become our road homes. Life can be so easy. The men and women who keep them alive become family. Life can be so hard. It's hard to imagine leaving this bubble I've created. I'm happy with my wife and son together, but I long to go out. We had this staggering, terrible moment where uh, I went to the liquor store and got two handles of Maker's Mark, and they were sitting on the kitchen counter, and our two-year-old Wallace walked by and pointed up at the red wax cap and just went, Dad, Dad! <laughs> and I was like... Oh, wow, this is like, we're all going to be fat alcoholics when this is over. I mean, all we've been doing is eating. When you started to cook, have you thought about the show? We started out cooking just the normal stuff we would cook, but we yeah. very quickly arrived at sentimental recipes, a way to cook something in our house that would transport us to some place we loved. Mm -hmm. And look, man, we spent so much psychic energy making this show that all of those places, without me even really thinking about it, I mean, honestly, I sort of thought the show was dead. While we waited to go back out, we worried about the people we'd gotten to know. We daydreamed about barbecue joints and biscuit huts. In isolation, they took on new meaning. The people who own the mom and pops, as we call them, who own the roadside stands and the roadhouses and the dives, these are working class people. People working the dish pits and the lines at the restaurants you love are working class people who are disproportionately 
being hit by this. Right. I mean, these are people with, you know, the euphemism underlying conditions. Yeah. Which means these are working class people. These are also people living on the edge of poverty. I'm just curious, like, to what degree have you been keeping in touch with people from the 16 restaurants we featured? A lot. Um, I mean, I care about these people. It's been a gruesome year, but I've kept up with our restaurant families. I needed to hear their voices and see their faces. <laughs> How's Lehays doing? <laughs> Lehays is killing it. Of course it's killing it. Square in Hodgenville, Kentucky, hometown of our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln. His father plowed the same fields local farmers harvest today. Here, Abe first felt those mystic chords. Land, family, home, liberty, justice, hamburgers. Lehay's Red Castle pumps out a slick cloud of grease and onion and atomized beef fat. That smell clings. Boys who skip school to sit at the counter still get busted when they try to sneak back. The whole town smells like it's been hotboxing burgers. We have that free advertising. Everything goes up the hood, so that smell goes out. And whichever way the wind blows, people follow their nose. If you guessed at how far the smell carried, what would be your guess? I don't know, but I know the shell station way, way up the road, uh, they smell us. They smell us down there at IGA sometimes. The interesting thing about Lehays is they're killing it because so much of their business is takeout. Like so many of these places we concentrate on, they're takeout businesses. So people are lining up at the window and they're taking their Lehays onion stank out in a bag and they're happy. Um, and Lehays is the same kind of center of that community that always was. Tim Horgan, who's a direct, you know, Tim, he ordered a big griddle, a propane griddle on the internet. He sent me a picture of that. It's oh, pretty amazing. It's, it's hilarious. I mean, he's been making them. Like, you know, so the Lay Hayes burgers have been well represented. I mean, what have you guys been cooking? I made, for the very first time in my life, I made egg for young. And I'd like to say that, you know, I've always loved egg for young, but I knew that I was channeling. When the weather's on your mind. Make sure the buzz is on your radio. 103.7 The Buzz. Sale. Lucky Palace is a world-class Chinese restaurant and a wine lover's paradise. Owner Quan Lim pours until the room goes blurry. So I was like, what the F is this? <laughs> like, pulled in. Um, it was a pretty, this is kind of a shady area. And then you walk into the restaurant and it's stunning. The wines just keep on coming until you're fully limified. It's a noun, it's a state of being, it's a state of drunken bliss. man yeah. you know i mean he's he's on a walker and he's unbowed he isn't able to come in the restaurant and he's unbowed he's gone bald he's unbowed like he is the limb we know and love fighting this thing like we're all fighting right now but he's like the symbol of the fight when we left limb two years ago his cancer was in remission now it's back hey limb so tell me how you've been doing i'm doing okay i guess with the COVID-19 right now, uh, it's not too safe for me to uh, to go back to the restaurant yet. But, uh, well, at least I'm here. Yeah, you are. I have all my friends that with me. Yeah. I, I've never, I can't complain. I've thought about you a lot, Lim. Um, you know, spending time with you was special. Spending time with you reminded us all of 
or the importance of gathering at table, um, the importance of having a big night out, and how that restores us. It's great to see you. Miss you. Miss you too, Liv. Bye. We've eaten a lot of meals on the road for the show. Really great meals, both in the restaurants we feature and in just the places the crew goes. And I think my favorite is Silver Sands. Sophia Vaughn wakes up at 2 or 3 in the morning, every morning, to get to her kitchen in time to get breakfast ready to feed her regulars. Hey, baby, how you doing? What you eating today? Three minutes. Life can be so easy. Have a good one, baby. I appreciate y'all. It can be so hard. When you want to know the truth, this year has brought Sophia one disaster after another. Touchdown, Arkansas! It makes me so happy being there. I can be sad and in my own little world to see my customers and talking to them and getting that laugh and getting that hug, man. I feed off of that. I love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Sophia Vaughn is having a rough time. Um, on March 2nd, the tornadoes ripped through Nashville and her restaurant was damaged. The worst thing happened though is she got money together to repair it and the contractor bungled the job. I worried about Sophia. Her health wasn't great before all this. And then she got the virus. Hey Sophia, what happened with you and COVID? Oh my God. I actually got it from one of the contractors at the restaurant. Oh no. Oh, Sophia. So it's like one hit after the other, after the other. But you know what? That's when you find out who's really got your back and who's your friend. The best thing about it is I have the best customers in the world. I can't wait to open. I can't wait to see them. You let us in. And uh, not only your restaurant, but into your life. And we're appreciative. You're welcome. I thank you for checking up on me all the time. Love y'all. Bye. Okay. I mean, you see the love that she has for that cooking. You see the love she has for customers. Like, you feel it. I know that sounds like a cliche, but it, it isn't. The real miracle of restaurants is not restaurant food. It's the chance they offer us to commune with fellow humans. Every restaurant we've visited for this show has been a monument to a person or a family related by blood or sweat. These are the people we've missed during COVID. Longing to spend some time in Shreveport or Norwood, Georgia. A blinking light crossroads on the outskirts of Athens. station near the intersection of Nowhere Road and Nowhere Lane is an improbable place to find a genius cook. There he stands. surveys the aisles and counters where travelers buy scratch-offs, wrapper brand chips, and Georgia Bulldogs gear. Peruvians drink Inca Cola, enjoying the sugar cane buzz and the brief trip home. Where someone else deep-fried chickens, Pablo now marinates them in citrus. He loads them onto skewers and sets them turning in his oven. He cranks the blender, puring bread and garlic and greens into bright sauces. Pablo, um, remember like Pablo said his great dream was to get out of that gas station into his own place? Yeah, how'd that go? Pablo's in his own place. No way. Yeah. Angeles J, it's named after his daughter, and Pablo has the place he dreamed of, the place he talked to us about in the show. He has it. How are the Scots doing? They're doing great because their business is mostly pickup. And like a lot of barbecue places we focused on, they're doing okay. I talked to George Gerard in Beaumont. 
She said, you know, I'm doing fine. Most of my business is drive through My daddy built a drive through in 1975. And that drive through his daddy built in 75, it was the salvation of his business in 2020. So Birmingham, yeah. uh, Bessemer, tell me about uh, what's happening with Bright Star. Well, I had a conversation with Paul Janeway from St. Paul, the Broken Bones. You trying to trying to snake backstage passes? No, no, no. He just wanted to thank me yeah, because I bet that's, I bet that's they what it was. ignored him until our show, and they finally recognized that he was a patron of their fine establishment, and now he eats free. Really? So that's a good development. That's for him. That's the best thing the show's done. <laughs> These restaurants attract celebrities and working women and men. Regulars who want a place to be themselves and a place full of people who want the same. A great room makes that possible. Hey, Mr. Porkus. How are you doing? Very well. How are you? I'm doing great. The people who work the room are the stars, the hosts and cooks, waiters and bartenders. Thank y'all for coming. We appreciate it. Here we honor their work and mourn them when they're gone. The state of Alabama lost a piece of its history when Jimmy Koikas died. For six decades, he worked this room where spirit now lives forever. Jimmy's gone. Died in November of 2019. Um, That's really sad. I mean, you know, if you think about someone who literally died in the saddle, like, he worked. I mean, there's, there's a circular beauty if it's a family restaurant like that, that you yeah. are born into it and you pass from it, and it remains. There are people who, instead of folding up shop, have doubled down not only on protecting the business, but on protecting their community, the community that they, that they create and the community they sustain. The Leach family sharecropped the cotton fields of the Delta near Slaughter, Mississippi. They opened Miss Gurley's restaurant to help their son fund his church. Baxter Leach was a retired Memphis sanitation worker. It was their strike that drew Martin Luther King Jr. here on his last trip. So what's it feel like to reopen? Feel like we've never been closed. Does it scare you to reopen with COVID looming? It does. It's a little fear there. What are y'all serving today on your first day back? I wish I was there. I know. Well, True South loves you, and we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us just before you reopen in Kia. All right. We love True South. We love John Cheers. These virtual connections reminded me of what we gained over the last two years making True South and what we lost over the last seven months. That distance made me hungry to get up and pick back up the broken pieces of a waiting world. You don't know who I am. You can push through anything as long as you believe. Our family calls Alex the Phoenix. He always rises from the ash. Paterno never faced any charges, but he didn't escape judgment. Who has like a career-defining moment at 37? The whole country is watching, and the world is watching. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Championships Wimbledon. Please do not run. Please keep off the grass. Remain seated and silent for the duration of play. Please turn your attention to center court for the trophy presentation ceremony. Quiet, please. It's Wimbledon on ESPN. I wanted desperately to return. gathered the True South team to see what had become of the South we left behind. 
First stop, St. Leo here in Oxford. I need a drink. Drink of 2020 will always be the Boulevardier. Right now, made them all summer. Whiskey, vermouth, Campari, Kentucky meets Italy. Joe, our bartender, makes the best one in town. I remember the very first time I came to this bar, like you began abusing me um, verbally, <laughs> not not physically, but but it was also a way to draw me in. You were saying like, okay, we're, we're going to be friends. Joe works the bar at St. Lee. The fine art of armchair quarterbacking. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? 103.7 The Buzz. KABZ Little Rock. You can be completely honest with a stranger who's making you a drink, but it's like, he's my friend, though, for some reason. For some reason, we're friends, you know? What do you do different in the middle of the coronavirus as you reopen the restaurant? Just try to be as safe as possible. You know, rewash your hands, gloves. How do you broadcast a smile through a mask? It's, um, it's, it's, all, it's all in the eyes, right? You have to be, like, those selective eyes, you know? <laughs> You're scared, man. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's, like, it's all it is, right? It's, it's a lot of eye contact now. We have to go back to trusting people that they're following the rules, right? And that's the biggest crux of it all is like, do you trust your community enough? At some point, we're going to get sick. I mean, it's inevitable when you have right. students who work here and want to go out after work and they have friends who, you know what I'm saying, who may not be quarantined properly. We're just trying to plan for the worst when it happens and make sure that we're all safe and secure. I'm going to take off from here and head on a road trip. And I'm going to Tennessee. I'm going to Georgia and Alabama and South Carolina. And I wonder what it's going to be like to connect with people, whether it'll be as easy, whether it'll be easier because people are starved for those connections. I don't know. I'm really curious. We sat at home for months. Then we got up off the map. We created our own rolling bubble. Everyone took COVID tests. We went in search of people who wanted the same things as us. Food, fellowship, and mostly a way to cut through the fear of a virus, yeah, but also of each other. They loaded my car on the back of a rock and roll tour bus. And we left Oxford at last. The open road felt good. Movement seemed illicit. Delirious and essential. We looked out the